The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Here in the studio with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, Vic. How are you, man? I am well, ready to go. How are you? No complaints. I just want to thank all our listeners in advance for contributing to KPFK's Fund Drive. Absolutely. Without listeners, um, there would be no KPFK, and uh, we wouldn't be doing what we love doing. So absolutely, indeed, thank you. So we've got some uh, major things happening uh, that broke earlier, uh, well, this, this past weekend, starting with uh, the, the Trump indictment, um, which is Wow, it's huge. So special counsel Jack Smith, um, you know, returned with a historic indictment against former President Donald Trump. It was unsealed on Friday. It's the first time a former president has been charged with crimes in federal court. He faces a total of 37 counts, including 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information. And this is massive. You know, he showed Trump in two occasions, at least that we know, uh, he showed these classified documents to other people, including one time at a party. The The indictment says that Trump retained documents uh, related to national defense that were classified as the highest level, and some were so sensitive they required special handling. So it's just the, you know, it's just so much to uh, digest there. And there are photographs to prove this. I mean, you know, as you can imagine, something like this doesn't, an indictment like this doesn't happen unless the evidence is overwhelming and um, very strong. So, yeah, there you have it. More Trump shenanigans. A little tongue in cheek here in terms of the classified documents and him kind of spouting off at the mouth, sharing sensitive information and stuff. I was hoping something about aliens <laughs> would would kind of come out of this right make a leak and stuff because there is that figurative book of secrets that every president knows about but in all seriousness this is pretty monumental and trump faces from everything i've read he could be facing hundreds of years in prison and what's, you know what's really phenomenal it's just unbelievable is in some of the stories you read people are still uh writing about it in the context of 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 his so you know his pre- presidential election <laughs> i mean are we in the twilight zone that, no it's that it's just rea- it's just reality vic because uh this past saturday he uh spoke in georgia right he's full steam ahead and I also think Trump is not the type of dude that will take a plea either. He this is going to trial. Um obviously he will have the best representation money can buy, but I truly think that these prosecutors would not hand out this indictment if they did not have a rock solid case evidence. That's for sure. Um, 
I, I also read that they have some evidence from Trump himself out of his own mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's mind-boggling and bizarre and all that stuff for for people like you and me and I'm sure all of our listeners. Like the idea that this guy isn't even phased and, you know, maybe running for president is his, is his only out, like in terms of him pardoning himself. Right, right. His motivation is that. But I don't think so. I think he's, he's his ego is still bruised for losing the election in 2020. I think uh, he has something to prove there. But uh, we shall see. Uh, I don't put anything past him. So, yeah, we'll see where this goes. Also, this uh, past uh, Friday, there was a shooting in San Francisco's Mission District. Nine people were were shot and wounded, um, you know, and, and it was kind of a passing story, if you will. Uh, and I'm not surprised because these mass shootings are happening so often and the coverage is just less and less, you know, it's almost like it's becoming our new normal, which is sad. And this is, this is San Francisco it's supposed to be safe, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going through, uh, stories and it was like you know fourth or fifth or sixth on various news sites like it wasn't a big deal that nine people were shot i mean like you said it's the the overload of of violence that's taken the country by storm the last few years uh particularly with gun violence and with trump's indictment coming down and you know still the massive coverage on uh, the war in Ukraine, and particularly, yeah, San Francisco, very, very liberal uh, part of the country. Uh, but there's been a lot of unease uh, coming out of that part of California in terms of the, the unhoused crisis. It's not newsworthy, I suppose. Yeah, sadly, sadly. But there's news coming out of the L.A. County DA's office regarding Twitter. So why don't you talk about it? Because I know you've been You've been all over this. Obviously, everyone listening knows June is Pride Month. A lot of events, parades, uh, things happening around the country, particularly in L.A. County. The Los Angeles County DA's office took part in one of these parades and shared the moment on their Twitter account, which was met with some fierce backlash and some very disgusting rhetoric. And because of this and Twitter's refusal to address this backlash for the L.A. County uh, DA's office taking part in the Pride Parade, um, the office has quit Twitter. So they tweeted photos uh, of their entry in a parade, and it was met with homophobic uh, and transphobic slurs. And since Elon Musk took over Twitter, I think this is in, in protest to just how much kind of a rampant uh, – hate speech he's allowed to overtake that platform and so the la county's da's office is is done with twitter yeah let me tell you what i think so first uh, i want to um, you know i've interviewed um district attorney gascon a couple of times i'm a huge fan and i'm a big fan of the da's office and how uh, inclusive they are and for years and years even before george gascon they they walked LA Pride and they showed solidarity. And I'm 
um, I praise them for that. I also praise them for taking the action that they did with Twitter because it shouldn't take that long um, and such. But here's the thing. <laughs> I've got news for you because I'm on Twitter a lot and I have been for years and years. It was just as bad before Elon Musk in terms of Twitter not deleting, not addressing hate speech or doing it um, sort of uh, pick and choosing which ones they would do. And I, I can't even tell you. I mean, this is one incident I'm, I'm assuming in terms of the DA's office, you know, posting pictures from Pride. But for the last almost three years, this is before Elon Musk too, Azerbaijan and, and Turkey, some state sponsored, some just individuals have been posting uh, all kinds of hateful, hateful things about Armenians and Artsakh, um, uh, some that are threats, some that are bodily armed threats, racist, armenophobic, all kinds of propaganda, lies, just disinformation. Uh, and it is extremely difficult to get Twitter to even address them. There are so many activists that talk about this, how Twitter basically allows this sort of armenophobic uh, practice to go on. So, I mean, I'm not defending Elon Musk because definitely uh, not... I mean, I just think that there's there's some things that he does that don't make sense. But but this one instance, I I want to say that this is this isn't something new with Twitter. This well, is, let me let me just give you uh, some numbers, and I'm not countering anything you're saying or anything like that. So the the Center for Countering Digital Hate identified, flagged 1.7 million tweets and retweets since the start of 2022. Uh, the tweets, the keywords that were mentioned, LGBTQ+, gay, homosexual, or trans, in addition to slurs like predator and pedophile. In 2022, in the months before Musk took over, there were an average of 3,000, over 3,000 tweets per day. That jumped 119% to over 6,000 tweets a day in the four months after Musk took over last October. Right. But that's the that's the slurs that jumped, right? It's not it's not measuring how many slurs there were against how many that were deleted or found to be found to be um violation of their policy. You see what I'm saying? So and and this is just again I'm not this would take for me to like do some some homework and such, but just based on what you're saying and just my initial initial analysis of this is that it could be because when Elon Musk took over Twitter, he'd pretty much come out as as more of a right wing and he was going to take Twitter back to or or at least in, in the eyes of some not be so liberal and such. And uh, he did some big gestures to show that, uh, you know, he's uh, sort of welcoming to the right wing and such like that, including unblocking President Trump. So one one theory or one possibility here <laughs> based on um yeah just just one theory could be that after he took over a lot more people came on board or came back on board that are susceptible to this kind of hate speech you know what i mean what i would like to see to be fair to to Elon Musk is the number of 
hate speech tweets that were reported, let's say in 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and how many were actually either suspended or found to be in violation and removed. Do you know what I mean? Just from that perspective. Yeah, Twitter is, you know, because it's widely used by elected officials, journalists, people in media and uh, activists, there's so much. It's kind of like a cesspool in a way. I mean, I've heard that before. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of us are in it because there's nothing, you know, there's no alternative, at least a viable one. And so um, it's just just ugly. Yeah. And the fact that Elon Musk has made enormous cuts to the business, to that platform in terms of the labor behind a division of that company, such as the Center for Countering Digital Hate, hate in any capacity. A quote from uh, the DA's office Our decision to delete the Twitter account was not an easy one. Uh, It came after a series of distressing comments over time, culminating in a shocking response to photographs we posted celebrating their first known entry into a pride parade. They didn't uh, receive a response to the attacks, and they're out, man. It's so, um, I don't know, it's just unbelievable. It's not unbelievable, but it's just sad that LADA's office can't get a response from Twitter. I mean, then what do average people, you know, what chance do, do average people have to get a response? You know what I mean? You would think a DA's office would be treated with uh, some sort of priority, but apparently not. So Vic, we know you have a, an engaging interview coming up with... I do, with Alex Mahajer, who is yes. uh, the outgoing, oh. outgoing president of the Stonewall Democratic Club. Uh, which is the largest uh, LGBTQ political advocacy organization in the nation. But he is also a candidate for California State Senate, 37th District, which is a big chunk of Orange County. We are in Fund Drive, and it's time to hopefully pay some bills uh, because KPFK is a listener-sponsored radio station, which means you, the listener, keep us on the air kpfk.org. You can use PayPal, credit card, whatever's easier for you. We just really appreciate it. Yes. As as Ricky said, KPFK since 1959 has been a listener-sponsored radio. Um, that is, um, that's not something that we take lightly. And why is that important is that we are not uh, taking money from advertisers. We are not beholden to advertiser demands or anyone else. We are able to bring you unbiased news and commentary analysis uh, because we are supported by you. We've been supported by millions and millions of listeners through the years. And it's not easy doing these fun drives. Um, it's not fun. I, I understand that. But it's necessary. If we are to continue to bring you the quality of programming that you're used to, we ask you to help us. We ask you to uh, dig deep, donate whatever you can, uh, go to kpfk.org. Um, you can choose to uh, get some sort of an incentive, like a gift. Uh, there's a list of items that you can ask for. But I know that most of you support us because you believe in us. So just go to kpfk.org. Yes, kpfk.org. And the fund drive is going to run through June. And we just hope that for whatever show you're listening to, um, please see the value in that. Uh, a lot of the, the hosts on KPFK are 
are not paid. It's a bare bone staff at KPFK, uh, people who actually do get paid. And we can't do it without them. So many things that your donation will will uh, directly affect. So we, we really appreciate it. KPFK.org. Yeah, so Vic, we got your interview coming up before we take a break. Can you just give us a little sneak peek into the interview? It's with Alex Mahajer, who is the outgoing president of the Stonewall Democratic Club, which is uh, the largest, most prominent LGBTQ political advocacy organization. Uh, and Alex is running for California State Senate uh, in the 37th district, uh, which is uh, sort of around central to South Orange County, starting in Irvine. Yeah, so right now, let's just take a break. And when you come back, you'll hear my interview with Alex. This is Jackson Brown. I've been listening to KPFK since I was a teenager. Then and now, KPFK has been a lifeline to vital information without which we would be at the mercy of corporate media and commercial interests that control it. There are so many programs that I've listened to regularly and so many instances when I've come upon the unexpected, the unknown, and the sublime. Join me and become a member today at kpfk.org. Now more than ever before, it's essential to keep supporting KPFK and the free exchange of ideas and cultural viewpoints that foster our democracy. And the number, which is the only number I know actually by heart, 818-985-5735. KPFK. I came for inspiration. I came looking for truth. Greetings, sisters and brothers. This is Robbie D. In 1989, I was shooting the documentary First Strike, Portrait of an Activist. My attempts at getting any sort of news coverage for the heroic acts of Kajir Kamsarik breaking into Vandenberg Air Force Base and destroying several Navstar guidance systems went nowhere. There was not one print, television, or radio outlet that would advise the public of this disarmament action that was in full compliance with international law. Nobody, that is, except for KPFK. Our brave and wise radio station broke the news embargo. The subsequent press coverage allowed the public to learn of the illegal U.S. policy of first-strike targeting of other nations with nuclear weapons. Never underestimate the importance of a genuine free press. KPFK is the real deal. Peace out. Donating your car or boat is an excellent way to help KPFK stay alive and on air. All you have to do is call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO, and we'll take care of everything. Keep KPFK strong on the web. Digital services cost KPFK real money. KPFK is more than what you hear on the radio. At kpfk.org, you can listen to our live stream along with our on-demand content whenever you like. These digital services are free for you, but they cost us more money each year. For all of those times you've gone to kpfk.org, discovered new information, and shared it with others, please consider making a donation today. Just click the Donate button at kpfk.org. Thank you. This is Stanley Clark. Free Speech Radio can't survive without your generous support. Become a KPFK sustaining member now by pledging $1 a day at kpfk.org. Become a sustaining member. Your donation is tax deductible 
and membership has its privileges. I am a member, so join me, Stanley Clark, in keeping independent radio alive. Donate to KPFK at kpfk.org and do it today. Blunt Post with Vic. Alex Mahajer was born and raised in Irvine, California, to immigrant parents from Iran. He received his bachelor's degree from UC Berkeley and a DA from Chapman University School of Law in 2011. As an attorney, he is a civil service advocate for the LA County. Alex is the outgoing president of the Stonewall Democratic Club and a candidate for California State Senate District 37 which includes Irvine, Costa Mesa, Fullerton, Laguna Niguel, and Elisa Niguel. Good morning, Alex. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Vic. Good to good to chat with you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to, um, to uh, give us an update on your campaign for uh, California State Senate, the 37th District. Uh, which encompasses Irvine, Costa Mesa, Orange, Fullerton, Laguna Niguel, uh, Laguna Woods, Lisa Niguel, etc. Correct? Yes, that's the district. It's my hometown town of Irvine and the neighboring cities in mid to south Orange County. Yeah, because you were born and raised in Irvine. Yeah, I I was born and raised in Irvine. My mom immigrated to Irvine from Iran in the 1970s. Um, she was a single mom before. She didn't speak very much English, but she came to Irvine because of the good public schools. And uh, we born and raised there, went to public schools there. Um, we were a working class family. My mom didn't speak very much English and worked a good union job while going to school at night just to make sure she could put food on the table and to uh, make sure we could go to those good Irvine public schools. So I did K through 12. And then when we couldn't afford to send me to college right away, um, you know, I went to a community college in Irvine. And then because of all that struggle and sacrifice, you know, I was able to end up getting into one of the best public universities in the world, UC Berkeley, and then went to law school. So our family really is, my family really is sort of the exemplification of, I guess, the American dream. You know, yeah. the, the immigrant story um, that so many people come here for. Absolutely. Um, we'll get a little bit more into that. But first, I want to know, like at this point, at this junction of, of the campaign, right? It's like we are in June. The primary is in March, March 5th. And so explain to me, where are we? Where are you in this whole sort of fast, fast moving train? Yeah, it's been an unbelievable and gratifying experience. Um, I'm a first time candidate. So, you know, I've never run for elected office before. I've been I've been chair of the Stonewall Democrats for the president of Stonewall Democrats for the last two years. I'm working on the electoral side in that capacity, but I never really saw myself running for office. Um, and we can talk about all the reasons I decided to run. But as a first time candidate, it's, a, and it's an intense experience. Uh, it's a lot of raising money. Uh, and I've taken uh, pledges to accept no contributions from the fossil fuels industry or for com- from corporate PACs or from healthcare, uh, corporate healthcare PACs. So this is a purely, truly grassroots campaign. And that means raising the money grassroots and just going out into the community, 
meeting voters, meeting different community groups and democratic clubs and taking meetings with elected officials and environmental groups and different labor unions and trying to get out the message of why this race specifically throughout the state is, I believe, one of the most, if not the most important state legislative race in the state, actually. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's just been off to the races and, you know, coming and talking with old friends like you and and getting the word out. Nice. I like um, I like that you're not, I mean, among other industries too, but you're not taking any money from fossil fuel because I just think they're, it's, it's such a horrendous industry uh, and it's causing so much havoc. It has for over a millennia, you know, over a hundred years, but uh, just now it's just awful. So I'm, I'm good to hear that. Um, well, Vic, if I might say <laughs> that this is actually very important and I'm glad that you've pinged it as, as being important. We, uh, in a in the fourth largest economy here in California in the world, have the power to be global leaders on climate change and pass good climate policy that has a significant impact on our country's total emissions and on the state's emissions, which could have a significant, significant role in trying to ward off the long-term uh, and devastating consequences of climate change. But there are people elected officials and from both parties. Spoiler alert, I hate to ruin anyone's day, but people from both parties are taking lots of money from those those industries. And then we wonder why in a state with a Democratic supermajority in the legislature mm -hmm. that we can't get fast enough action on climate change. So that's a very central part of my campaign. And um, but one of the most important parts of what, what I'm talking about. Well, it sounds like you're pretty um, impartial and you're sort of willing to call out both both sides, if you will, or both parties. And you have pledged in, that you're going to work across the aisle. Uh, but is it um, just based on your your sort of past? Is it fair to say you're a progressive? Do you identify as a progressive? I, de I define myself as a progressive. Uh, I'm also a pragmatist. I also tend to believe that a lot of what's wrong with our modern politics, at least for the last 30 years, is that we've really lost the ability to talk to each other. The district I'm running in is a purple district. There are Republicans there. These are people that I grew up with, that I still break bread with, you know, that I go over for Christmas Eve dinner and and. I'm going to advocate for what I believe in with the Republican voters in my district, too. And I'm going to invite them to the table to have discussion and, and good old fashioned American debate about the kinds of policies that we're going to be proposing in the legislature. And I'm going to advocate for my views the same way I do at my friend's dinner table, which is debating it. I think this is a uniquely American thing, the idea that we can have a debate of ideas and the best ones rise to the top. And um, I'm not going to disenfranchise Republican voters from the process, but I am very clear that I that I'm a progressive. Um, and I think well, a lot of what being a progressive means is getting policy passed that helps people and um, lifts people out, out of poverty and gives people opportunity and access and um, and puts an end to the corrupt corporate governance that I think has ruled our politics for very, very long too long you know I've, I've i've also interviewed mayor uh, uh or vice mayor uh tammy kim from irvine before and i've asked her a similar question 
So in terms of the 37th district, right, that big chunk of Orange County, that's relatively affluent, um, upper middle class for the most part, some middle class and working class. Uh, what are some of the things that are not working? What are the, the top issues that need improvement? We, like I said, we need bold climate policy passed. And there's a misnomer that Orange County is entirely affluent. Orange County is full of working class families and full sure. of immigrant communities that deserve to have a representative in the legislature. It is not just an affluent area. There is plenty of uh, affluent neighborhoods, but we have a unhoused crisis in Orange County. And the majority of the people that are unhoused in Orange County are working full-time jobs. So that's saying something. It's also saying something that kids that grow up like I did in, in Irvine or some of the surrounding areas, they grow up they and they can't actually, even if they do well and go off to get a great education, get great jobs, they can't actually afford to buy homes in the same place that they grew up. This is a problem. Yeah. Uh, healthcare access is a problem in Orange County. We've got uh, a growing um, community population of elderly folks, seniors, and differently abled folks who don't have the kind of access they need to healthcare services. So I'm talking about the need to make sure vulnerable vulnerable groups don't fall through the cracks. And like I said, climate, climate, climate. Let me tell you a story. I used to drive down, I used to ride my bike when I was eight years old. I would ride my bike down West Yale Loop in Irvine to Alderwood Basics Plus Elementary School. And I remember getting instruction on climate change. I'm now 38, it is 30 years later. And I drive down the same stretch of road now uh, that I used to take with my bike. And I look around and I see that there are no solar panels. There aren't hardly enough EVs on the road. We need charging ports in every neighborhood, in every parking lot, in every public school and building. We need charging stations uh, in this district. We need to have the infrastructure built to uh, provide the clean energy to charge those uh, EVs. That means solar and wind. And we need to be fast tracking, transitioning away from gas appliances to electric appliances and making it easy for consumers to get access to these kinds of uh, clean energy tools and appliances. So we're not moving fast enough. And uh, 30 years since I was a little kid and not seeing any progress on this, there's some inroads. California's made some inroads. The federal Biden bill that got passed was a good start. But we really need to get serious about passing bold climate legislation. Uh, and I think that's something that this district cares very, very, very much about. Let me ask you this. You, you come in with a lot of... Um... Uh, credentials you you know as you said you went to Irvine uh, uh, not Irvine but uh, Berkeley uh, that's not an easy thing to do to go to uh, UC Berkeley I think it's one of the most coveted schools in the nation uh, got, your, got your law degree from Chapman University you've been a working attorney for 10 years for LA County uh, working to um, you know investigate sexual harassment allegations and such so and you are now about to be or the outgoing president of the Stonewall Democratic Club, which for those that don't know, it's the largest and probably most prominent LGBTQ political advocacy organization in the nation. So what makes you stand out or different from uh, others who are, you know, the incumbent and, you know, others who are sort of in this race? The fact that I'm the son 
of this district. I was born and raised in this district um, and that I represent a diverse intersectional progressive and young perspective. If I'm elected, I'll be the only Iranian in the California state legislature in a state, in a in a state, in a county that has the largest diaspora of Iranians outside of Iran at a time where the Iranian people are deeply activated for the past nine months because of the ongoing revolution. This is a group of people that I want to seek to represent that I that has no representation and that right now very much so needs it because of what's been going on. And uh, if I'm elected, I'll be the first openly gay legislator elected out of Orange County. I'll be the first openly gay man elected anywhere in the world. That's a little uh, shocking. Well, our I mayor. Mean, come on, Orange County, Lord. Yes. I, mean, I, I don't know what to say. I think I, I just said it. Yeah. And, and also what you said about uh, uh, Orange County having the largest Iranian diaspora, obviously diaspora meaning outside of Iran. I wasn't aware of that. I thought it would be L.A. County, uh, you know, because of a vast majority of the West Valley and then also like sort of Santa Monica, Westwood. Beverly Hills, all of that. Well, to be Orange clear, County has the, beat LA County. Then, the, the, to be clear, I, I'm I'm talking about the totality of, of Southern California, so greater gotcha. okay, gotcha. metropolitan area. So yeah, gotcha. Orange okay. and, and, and LA would count among there. But Orange County alone has a large Iranian community down the yes. down around the corner from my house in in Irvine. Every Sunday, there are hundreds hundreds of Iranian people. Some protesting still every Sunday, and it's nine months now. They're out every Sunday protesting about what's happening in Iran, trying to draw attention to those protests. And the interesting thing about this is, it's a community that has not ever that doesn't have a fixed political ideology, and has never been enfranchised into our process in a meaningful way. And I'm going to seek to do that. And I think that why this is important is. The movement for the liberation of marginalized and oppressed people is intersectional. And actually, it's nonpartisan, but it's intersectional. And what I mean by that is, is if you care about the liberation of the Iranian people, of women's rights in Iran, of LGBTQ rights in Iran, then you must also necessarily care about women's rights here at home, the assault on LGBTQ rights here at home. You must also care about our, uh, the struggles of the Armenian people and what's been happening with Artsakh. So... I, I think that these issues are related to one another and intersectional and enfranchising people into the political process is really good for democracy, but it's also really good for building people power, for building power where we can come together to make uh, to drive these movements for for liberating marginalized communities. Yeah, no, I, the bravo. Absolutely. It's not about uh, I fought my fight, you know. I got what I want. I'm gonna take my toys and go away now. Good luck on yours. It's uh, it's all connected, and uh, we are seeing some divisions. Sort of, we're, we're we've been. I feel like we've been sort of stepping away from that um, sense we had uh, that we're all kind of. You know, human rights are human rights, no matter for whom. And it's all about the self-determination and all of that. Iranian people in Iran are fighting for uh, freedom, um, right to self-determination, human rights, very American values. And it's the uh, same for pretty much everybody else. My wish is for people to see that the, that that 
right there that the yearning for democracy, for self-determination, for autonomy, for human and basic human rights, that crosses broad swaths of cultures and groups that are all fighting these fights independently. And if we were to join together and recognize that our fight for the Iranian people is the same one as the Armenian folk, the struggle for Armenian liberation and for the human rights of Armenian people and for people of color in the United States and for women and for LGBTQ people. So that's my wish, that's my wish. And I think it's the way out of, sort yeah. of troubling backlash against human rights and basic rights civil rights that we've seen happen in this country. Yeah. So what's uh, what's coming up uh, for you in this in this journey or on this journey? So, well, Queerty, the LGBTQ publication, is getting ready to announce that I'm one of this year's Pride 50. So I guess this is a scoop, Vic. Uh, you're getting this ahead of everybody, but I'm awesome. one of I'm going to be honored by by Queerty this year um, because of the history that we're making with this race, which is very exciting. We're continuing to uh, talk to voters and have some fundraisers. If your listeners are interested, they can join us in uh, at Roxanne's in Long Beach on Wednesday, June 14th at 7 p.m. Uh, for a meet and greet and free rum tasting. If you're a drinker, I'm four and a half years sober. But if you are a drinker and like a little free rum tasting, um, join us in Long Beach. We uh, have a music night fundraiser because I am a public school and arts education beneficiary. So we, I, we're we going to do some music nights where we get around the piano, make some music with some of my friends from the theater and Broadway and TV community. And uh, we're just uh, going to continue building out this campaign from the ground up. And oh, if your listeners are interested, please consider chipping in. As I said, it's a grassroots campaign and you can donate ship in what you can at alexforca.com is four spelled out or number four it's just all spelled out alexforca.com dot com super well thank you alex uh on uh good luck on on this journey we'll chat again i'm sure before march uh appreciate your time thank you vic appreciate you alex thank you very much for uh your time for the interview uh good luck and uh, let's chat again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.